What's up, fans of the beautiful game? Welcome to episode 29 of the DKB Footy Show. I am your host, David Ballat, and I'm back again to talk about the football action that took place over the past week. And of course, we've also got some transfer rumors and come from transfers to talk to you guys about at the end of the show. But without further ado, let's start off with the show. I'm going to start with the Premier League as usual. And I'm going to start with the big match that took place over the past weekend. And that was the London derby between Arsenal and Chelsea at the Emirates. Arsenal got a very well-deserved win against Chelsea, defeating them two goals to nil. Um, That was, I would say, one of Arsenal's most complete performances this season, better than most of the performances they had during that 22-game unbeaten streak because we all know that it was really their attack that was bailing them out in most of these games, but that was not the case here. This was a comprehensive victory for them. And I think they were helped out a lot from Chelsea's really, really poor, poor finishing and just and just poor turning up in this match in general. Um, Lacazette opened the scoring with a beautiful finish in the near post. First of all, he got um, he was able to control a a really um, like fast hitting pass. The pass came with a lot of speed at him, so he did very well to control the ball in his box. He took a few touches to get rid of the defenders to get free. And then he rifled a shot to the top right corner of the post. Kepa had no chance of saving that. And I'm starting to realize that this is actually a trademark of, of Lacazette. He has scored so many goals from that exact position. I don't know how he's able to get those near post finishes. Only he and Aguero. Those are the two strikers in the Premier League that I've noticed are like really know how to score goals from the near post because those are very difficult to hit. Goalkeepers are usually not supposed to concede goals from the near post. They are usually disappointed when they do. And for him to, and Aguero to be able to do that that often, that's really, really impressive. And he did that in this match and it was a well-deserved um, lead for Arsenal because they had been threatening a lot throughout the whole first half. And then Laurent Koscielny, Grabbed the second goal. I believe this was still in the first half. Grabbed the second goal with um, a shot off of his shoulder. He tried to head the ball, but um, he missed it and he, it went off his shoulder. But luckily for him, it still went in. And Arsenal made it 2-0. And from there, Chelsea really barely ever um, threatened the Arsenal box. There were a few shots that hit the bar. One I remember was a header from Marcos Alonso. But really, aside from that, there was really nothing much more that Chelsea offered in this game. A thoroughly well-deserved victory for Arsenal. And I mean, to even encapsulate the performance of Chelsea, in the whole 19 minutes, they only had one shot on target. I mean, Arsenal is not the best team defensively. So if you can only manage one shot on target against them, it says more about you, in my opinion, than it says about the Arsenal defence. So Chelsea just did not turn up to this match in the past. I mean, this has been a ground where they haven't really had a lot of success in recent years. And yeah, this match was just, yeah, it was really poor for them. And after the match, Maurice Osari had some choice words to say about his team. He practically went Mourinho, full on Mourinho and blasted his players Absolutely blasted them, 
and ended up basically saying that his players are extremely hard to motivate. Um, I don't really know what Chelsea fans would have made of this, but I'm pretty sure they would not have been happy because this is the same rhetoric that was coming out from Mourinho throughout his stay at United. And it's it's really an indication, in my opinion, well, um, when it was happening with United, it was really an indication of how things were going on in the, in the, um, in the locker room because there is no way that players are going to take that well. I don't really see, especially players of, of this generation, a lot of pundits say that players of past generations would have um, taken this on the chin and taken it as a challenge to improve themselves. But it seems like players of the millennial generation are definitely not made of the same steel, per se. So I don't see... It never worked for Mourinho United. He did this in Chelsea as well. It did not work with this same core group of players and I don't see how it's going to work with Sari. I mean and also like how can a coach say it's hard to motivate his own players? Whose job is it to motivate his players if not the job of the coach? That is literally what you are there to do. If not for that, then what are you there to do? Are you there to teach the players how to play football? No, they already know how to play football. That is why Chelsea signed them. You're only there to tell them how to play as a unit and to motivate them and to let them know that they are better than their opposition. So they should go out there and do their strut their stuff. But yeah, saying that your players are hard to motivate, that's that's really um I don't even think that's wise. Those are not a wise choice of words from Sari. And this has been the first time he's shown this side of his since taking over at Chelsea. But definitely in Napoli, he was a very controversial figure and definitely never shied away from making controversial remarks at the media. I don't really know so much about what he said about his players, but I do know he was highly controversial with the media when he was Napoli manager. So, yeah, he should know that he's in Chelsea. This is not a small club. He should know that he has a trigger-happy um, boss. Abramovich is more than prepared to sack any manager at any given time. So he should choose his words more carefully next time. And I don't know if it's maybe because he doesn't speak. He's not a, um, what, what will I say? He's not a native English speaker. So maybe these are the words that came to his head and he said them. So um, I could maybe give him the benefit of the doubt, but he definitely cannot criticize his players in this way anymore. And for Arsenal, Arsenal are now three points behind the top four, along with United, three points behind Chelsea in the top four. This was a huge match for them. They could not afford to lose this match, in my opinion. If Chelsea had won this match, it would have been a nine-point gap, and I think that would have just been farewell to their top four hopes. So it's really good that they got this win and they're back in the hunt for the top four. Um, but they had a huge blow because um, Hector Bellerin got injured during the match and he is out for the season. He's out for about nine months. I wish him a quick recovery, but this is, yeah, it's a huge blow for Arsenal because in that right-back spot, they, it seems like Emery is not really a huge fan of Lichtenstein. Um, Lichtensteiner, what am I saying? Lichtensteiner has not had the best um, best of performances since he came to Arsenal. And Hector, so what am I saying? And Nacho Monreal as well. Okay, well, he plays on the left, my bad. So, Lichsteiner, 
I don't think Arsenal fans are going to be really happy to see him in the starting eleven. but that's the position in which they are in. And Chelsea, well, it seems like they've got their guy. I'll talk about that more, but it was obvious that they just needed a new striker. Every every single match Chelsea has played over the past 10 weeks has just showed more and more evidence why that attacking um, third of the pitch for them is just not firing at all. Over to the next results, Liverpool. This was by far the most exciting match, um, the most entertaining match of the weekend. And that was Liverpool defeating Crystal Palace four goals to three. Absolutely wonderful game. <clears throat> Crystal Palace show time and time again why they are the bogey team of Liverpool. Ever since that infamous Cristanbul match, in which they effectively um, ended Liverpool's title hopes. This was in the 2013-14 season, I believe. They effectively ended Liverpool's title hopes, and since then, Liverpool have just not been able to handle Crystal Palace. They've always found it tough to defeat them. And this match was just more of the same. In fact, Crystal Palace opened the scoring in the first half through Andras Townsend. And the build-up to this goal was absolutely fabulous because I've not seen, even among the top teams, I've not seen a team able to break Liverpool's press by just passing the ball around them, not by, but by not just booting the ball and luckily, or, or, or getting like a 40-yard pass across the pitch. They basically broke the press of Liverpool by passing the ball on the ground. And that led to a beautiful attacking position, which, um, what's his name, Wilfred Zaha was able to cross the ball across the ground and Townsend finished it beautifully. Liverpool went into the break, a goal down at Anfield, and I'm sure a lot of Liverpool fans were were really, really sitting on the edge of their, sit, their seats. Second half came in, though, and then literally a minute into the second half, they got an equaliser from Mo Salah. Disappointing goalkeeping from um, Speroni. He definitely gets a lot of blame for this. And then, moments later, Roberto Firmino made it 2-1 to Liverpool. And Liverpool fans were starting to rock again. The atmosphere was changing. A lot of happy faces. It was like they had finally overturned this potential um, banana skin. But James Tompkins got the equaliser for Crystal Palace and they were just not going anywhere. He made it 2-2 to Crystal Palace. But then later on, Mohamed Salah made it 3-2. And this was all in the second half, mind you. It was 1-0 going into the break. So this is all a second. It was a really crazy second half. Like literally every attack led to a goal or a goal scoring opportunity. And Mohamed Salah got, the, got a goal to make it 3-2. And then later on in the half, James Milner, got two yellow cards, got a second yellow and was sent off. So Liverpool were down to 10 men. But then in came Sadio Mane to effectively wrap up the three points for Liverpool, making it four goals to two. But Crystal Palace definitely had the last say in this match with Max Maia making it 4-3, but it was um, too late to salvage anything. And this was literally like in the that last minute of stoppage time, I believe. So Max Meyer got the goal to make it 4-3 and Liverpool got the win. But what a what a game this was. If there was really any suggestion to to show the fighting spirit that Liverpool possessed, this match really, really showed it because they did not 
handle Crystal Palace well at all. They uh, Crystal Palace definitely showed the weaknesses that other teams can exploit in this Liverpool team, but they did really, really well to bounce back from this and still get the win. And it hasn't really been easy for them since that loss against City. They've had to scrape by Brighton and Hove Albion. They were knocked out in the FA Cup by Wolves, and now they had to scrape by Crystal Palace. But this is what championship sides are made of. I always said this. I said the way um, how to know a championship side is how they recover from defeat. And Liverpool have recovered. Um, I would say they, 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 they've had a shaky recovery, but nonetheless, they have recovered. And I'm sure in the coming weeks, they're going to be able to put in stronger performances like they did before their loss. And I really think these guys are going to win the league. I honestly think so. These are the results that really tell you um, the mental capacity of players, their motivation. And this, t- yeah, Liverpool, they, they passed the test. I think they're going to win the league now, honestly. It will take a lot from Manchester City. It will basically take, I think, City maybe only losing one match or dropping points only one more time between now and the end of the season because these guys liverpool are so so difficult to beat they just have so many tools to score in that attacking third the defense is good the midfield is very hard to dominate because of how well they press and how hard they work together and it's going to be tough for city to um, get a second consecutive premier league trophy and speaking about City, they defeated Huddersfield away from home three goals to nil. Courtesy of goals from Danilo, he opened the scoring in the first half. That was arguably an own goal in my opinion. They say it was the shot was on target. I didn't really see that. But I mean, I can't really predict the trajectory of the ball from that far out. But was, they, um, Danilo opened the scoring. The goal was awarded to him. And then the second goal was scored from Raheem Sterling from a square ball from Leroy Sané. And then Leroy Sané wrapped up the three points relatively early in the game with a beautiful um, finish, one-on-one finish, basically. He was laid off by Aguero. Aguero gave him the layup and he finished the, the ball back into the back of the net. And it was a relatively easy, straightforward three points for City. And they are just scoring bags of goals they are literally in the last four games they now have a goal aggregate of 22 to 0 that's just absolutely bonkers 22 0 aggregate in the last four games and spurs spurs defeated fulham in another london derby at craven cottage two goals to one this game did not go according to the way spurs would have wanted because fernando Llorente got um scored an own goal to give Fulham the lead literally within the first 13 minutes of the match it was really unfortunate for him because if there's anybody who needed to put in a good performance it was him mind you Harry Kane is still out until March and Lorente is obviously the natural replacement for him with Son also being out Lorente was definitely the natural replacement and he didn't do himself any favors by scoring that own goal maybe he was well i saw the own goal i don't really know if i'm going to put too much blame on him but his reaction was definitely very slow and i don't think a defender would have um would have had such a slow reaction in his own box i think only a striker would have done that or like a non-defensive player so i 
kind of give him some sympathy, but I don't know if Pochettino is going to give him any sympathy for scoring that own goal. And then Dele Ali grabbed the equalizer for Spurs and Harry Winks grabbed a winner literally in the dying moments of the match. Snatched a win from the claws of a draw and Spurs went marching on. It was a huge win for them because look at their injuries. In fact, they even had another huge blow during this match because Dele Ali has joined Harry Kane on the injury list and he is also out just like Harry Kane out until early March. That's like if that, that's just a huge blow for Pochettino, huge huge blow for him. Look at the injuries they now have. Ali's out, Kane is out, Lucas Mora out, Sissoko out, Wanyama out, and Son is off to is his away in Asia playing the Asian Cup. So it's really really a huge loss for for Spurs and it's really going to take the best of Pochettino and the best of this squad to see if they can come out from this relatively unscathed. They're going to Oh yeah, Musa Dembele also left the team. He has joined he has gone to China. I don't know what which club he's gone to, but he has basically he has left Spurs. So what a, like these guys are depleted all over the pitch. It's really only their defense that is not injured, but I think it's a matter of time be- before their defenders get injured because they're so injury prone, especially Alderweireld and Vertonghen. Those two are one of the most injury prone defenders in the league. So I don't know how Spurs are going to be able to manage this. Are they going to go and buy a player? It's the transfer window. Is Daniel Levy thinking of this? I highly doubt it because this guy only thinks about the pocket of the team and not spending. He only thinks about ways to save, looking for bargain signings. So if they can get a bargain signing, then maybe. But I really don't see them going out and, and splashing 30 or 40 million pounds on a player who's ready to fill in the cracks that these uh, um, injured players have left in the team. So it's going to take the best of Pochettino. And I really think this is a testing period because I think this this period could literally m- m- make or break Spurs season and could also be a highly influential force in deciding whether Pochettino is going to stay or leave. Because if he sees that despite all of these injuries, despite not signing a player over the over the summer, and these injuries, if Daniel Levy still refuses to, st- to sign a player, I mean, what other indication does he need to see that this team is not going to back him in the future? And he can only do so much with the resources he has and with the players he has. He has done an, a magnificent job with what he has, but how, lo- how much longer can he do this when he knows that he has two options of literally the two biggest clubs in the world, that is Manchester United and Real Madrid, who are going to back him financially in a way that he has never seen before. So it's going to be tough. Also, you know, these, these injuries, at least the Kane and Ali injuries, are also going to affect them in the Champions League, and they're going up against Borussia Dortmund in a few weeks' time. So... I really don't know how they're going to be able to cope without these two guys. I think Son should be back. And he's definitely going to be looking to play as a striker, as he has already done. So maybe this will help. But overall, it's going to be tough, man. A tough, tough few weeks or, will I say, tough two months coming up for Spurs.
And then Manchester United defeated Brighton two goals to one. This was far from a convincing victory, but I would say United deserved the win altogether. Um, Paul Pogba opened the scoring in the first half. He won a penalty from some sloppy defending from the Brighton defenders. He won a penalty, and after that slow, tortoise-like run-up, he hit a good penalty. The keeper had no chance. He hit it right into the into the right-hand side of the post, and he gave United the lead. Pogba has just been in blistering form, unbelievable form, since Ole Gunnar Solskjaer took over. And guess who else has been in crazy form? It's been Marcus Rashford as well. And what a goal he scored. He was all over the place during this match. The defenders really, really found it difficult to handle him. And what did he do for his goal? He basically, this was just like a show of his tenacity and his ability to really try things. He, this guy, Rashford, tries things that most ordinary players don't try. It's just his execution that is always off. But in terms of the things he tries to do on the pitch, you can't really fault his effort at all. And this just, this just exemplified it because he cut past a defender and, and then he was almost going to the ground, but he was able to get enough power on the shots to basically hit a curling shot to the top corner of the goal. Keeper had no chance, very well taken goal from Rashford. And it looked like United were rolling. This was in the dying minutes of the first half as well. So they went into the break with a 2-0 lead. But the second half was kind of a different story. At first, and like, I'll say within the first 15 minutes, United looked threatening again. They looked like they were going to increase the scoring. But then a beautiful cross came in. I don't remember who put in the cross, but Pascal Gross was on hand to finish the, the, to finish the cross. And put Brighton back into the goal, into the match. United did well to hold on, and the match finished 2-1 to United. And this has been six straight Premier League wins for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and seven in all competitions. As I said earlier, United are now three points behind the top four, which is just crazy. They have gained eight points on Chelsea since Solskjaer took over. We were 11 points behind the top four when he took over, and now it's three. And all bets are off. We don't know who's going to make the top four. With Spurs also having all these injury problems, I can see them dropping points over the past, over the next few weeks. And really the top four battle is where it's at, as well as the title race, obviously. But the top four battle is going to be hot going into the final third of the season. And yeah, Solskjaer keeps on making his case for keeping the job on a permanent basis but i'm sorry they're still going to have to put in a lot more convincing performances and this i would say the last two performances or the last three if you include the fa cup win over reading have not really been that convincing they've gotten the win which shows that the players are definitely more motivated but the team has problems that social needs to address before the champions league especially He's got to address that defense. That defense cannot handle set pieces at all. And also, I mean, the attack is doing well. They're scoring goals, but the team needs some more solidity before I'm convinced that Solskjaer is the man to take over the job. Over to La Liga. 
standout match from there was Real Madrid versus Sevilla. Real Madrid defeated Sevilla at the Bernabeu, two goals to nil, courtesy of a Casemiro rocket off the off the um off the crossbar into the goal, and then a Luka Modric goal to seal the three points in the dying minutes of the match was a good win for Real Madrid. Overall, the match was not really that entertaining. Sevilla did not really produce that much in terms of attacking, in terms of creating chances. They didn't really create that many chances, at least from the highlights I saw. I didn't really watch the 90 minutes, but the highlights I saw mostly saw Real Madrid creating most of the chances. And um, yeah, they got the win and they have now leapfrogged Sevilla. Real Madrid are now in third. Sevilla are now in fourth. Real Madrid, though, are still 10 points behind Barcelona and are still just not that good. They're just not that good a team. And really, I think the best they can hope for is just maybe to maintain that third place position until the end of the season and have some serious introspection and look to sell some players, get rid of Solari, get a permanent manager in and see what they can do from next season. But this season, I think apart from the Champions League, which I I mean, yes, Real Madrid are the kings of the Europe. But if they manage to win the Champions League with all the issues they've had, then, my God, that would be monumental. But that's so far off. They're lucky they've got a relatively easy fixture. I don't remember who they're playing, but I know it should be a straightforward victory for them. And we'll see how they play in the other games. Oh, yeah, they play Ajax, I believe, and that should be straightforward for them. Barcelona defeated Leganes three goals to one at the Camp Nou. Musa Usman Dembele, sorry, opened the scoring. And then Martin Braithwaite, a Norwegian international, got the equalizer for Leganes. And then Luis Suarez made it 2 1. And Lionel Messi wrapped up the three points for the La Liga defending champions. That's really all that happened. It was a straightforward win for Barcelona. The only setback they had was Usman Dembele got injured and he's out for about two weeks with, I believe it's either a knee or ankle injury, I don't know, but he's out for about two weeks. And Atletico Madrid got a 3-0 win away from home to Huesca. They got goals from Lucas Hernandez, Santiago Arias and Coque. And they are still looking like the most likely to challenge Barcelona. They are still five points off of the top spot. But I think that they have reached some level of consistency now. And they should be looking to go all the way this season and try and win another La Liga trophy despite all the odds against them. Over to Serie A. We got a huge match there as well between Napoli and Lazio. And Napoli got the win, a 2-1 victory over Lazio. Um, Jose Callejon opened the scoring for Napoli and then Eric Milik scored the second goal off of a delicious free kick, beautifully hit, hit free kick, beautiful, perfect waiting. The keeper really had no chance and uh, he didn't even bother going for the goal, for, for the ball. And then Immobile got a consolation goal for Lazio, but um, Napoli held on and got the 2-1 win. Napoli obviously stay in second position and Lazio have now dropped to sixth position all the way from fourth. 
the top four battle in Serie A is huge. It's I think that's really going to be the biggest storyline from now to the end of the season because the the league is already effectively over and the relegation battle is not really that exciting. Nobody really talks about like um Serie A relegation battles. So the top four is going to be huge. And Lazio are now in sixth position. Juventus defeated Kievo three goals to nil. Douglas Costa opened the scoring with a beautiful solo solo run and a nice finish from long range outside the box. Keeper had no chance. And this was actually his first goal of the season, believe it or not. He opened the scoring. Emre Chan also got his first goal in a Juventus jersey to make it 2-0. And then Cristiano Ronaldo missed a penalty to make it 3-0. Missed his first penalty since joining Juventus. And this was actually, he made a bet with um, with Allegri that he was not going to miss any penalties, I think, in his first season. So he's lost that bet. I wonder how much money they had going on. But yeah, he lost that. And then Daniel Rugani made it 3-0 in the dying moments of the match to give Juventus a very comfortable victory at the Allianz Stadium against Chievo. Inter Milan had a drab affair, really anticlimactic affair against Sassuolo. They were at the San Siro and they only managed a nil-nil draw against Sassuolo. AC Milan got a huge victory away from home against Genoa, defeating them 2-0. They got goals from Fabio Borini and Suso and Milan are now in fourth position, overtaking, overtaking Lazio in fourth. And huge win for them. They did it without Gonzalo Higuain, who is on his way to Chelsea. Well, it's already official. I'll talk more about that later. Uh, they have also signed a new striker, Piatek, who I will also talk about later. Actually, they signed him from Genoa. That's, that's funny. That's, uh, that's quite ironic. And they got the win. It seems like Gattuso is still under immense pressure, but this match would have done a lot of good for him. Roma, AS Roma, defeated Torino three goals to two. This seemed like the most entertaining match of the weekend. Was a was a match that went back and forth. Roma opened the scoring through Nicolo Zaniolo. And then Alexander Kolarov made it 2-0 from the penalty spot. But then Torino really, really bounced back. They got a first goal from Thomas Rincon. And then Christian Alzaldi got the 2-2 equalizer for Torino. But then Stefan El Sharawi stepped up and made it 3-2 in favor of Roma. Roma have also overtaken Lazio on the table and are now in fifth position. And it's literally just one point. It's um, So Lazio are now two points off of the top four in sixth position. Roma are one point off in fifth. So top four battle. That's huge in Italy. In the Bundesliga, huge match there between um, RB Leipzig and Borussia Dortmund. Borussia Dortmund got the win away from home. Courtesy of Axel Witzel, he hit a stunner from the edge of the box inside the edge of the 18-yard box to the top corner. Keeper had no chance, and Borussia Dortmund held on for the win. This was a really tough win for them, though, because Leipzig created a lot of chances and could have and probably should have scored. But Dortmund also created their own chances. They could have scored more than one as well. 
and they did really really well to hold on because we all know Dortmund's defense is not the best so for them to hold on and get the win away from home this has actually been their first win at Leipzig Stadium at the Red Bull Arena I believe that's what it's called away from home Borussia Dortmund got the win and they stay six points on top spot in the Bundesliga ahead of Bayern Munich who are getting back in form they returned from the winter break and they got a 3-1 victory away from home over Hoffenheim. Leon Goretzka got a brace. Nico Schultz made it 2-1 and then Lewandowski wrapped up the win. So this has now been six straight wins for Bayern Munich since they had a draw, I think was it, against Augsburg. Since then they've had six straight wins scoring a shitload of goals and they are back in form so the bundesliga title race is definitely firmly back on and dortmund have to do very well to maintain this lead that they have they have to maintain the six point gap because i feel like if they let the gap slip to three points at this stage it's going to be tough and tough for them to be able to hold on and finish as champions but it's going to be interesting to see how things go in germany over to Ligue 1, and PSG defeated Gengar 9 goals to nil. My God, what a thrashing. They, Neymar opened the scoring. Kylian Mbappe scored two goals to make it 3 nil. Edison Cavani scored another two to make it 5 nil. Neymar got his brace, making it, um, making it 6, I believe. And then Kylian Mbappe got another goal to get his hat-trick. Edison Cavani also scored to get his hat-trick. And then Thomas Mounier scored to seal the win. Well, I mean, the win was already sealed since. But he, he scored to put the icing on the cake to a comprehensive victory. PSG have maintained the 13-point lead at the top. And they got revenge over Gengong because... Gengon um, beat them in the Coupe de la Ligue and PSG got their revenge over them. And what revenge they got? 9-0. No mercy. Jesus. Huge blow for them in this match though because Marco Verratti went off injured and it seems like he's going to miss at least the first leg of the Champions League match. And um, even if he... He, there's a chance he can make it, but I don't think he will be able to be in the position to start the match. And that's really sad for them because that midfield is is not that great for PSG. Verratti is their only world-class player in the midfield. And I know they're still looking to sign another player in the midfield. And I think they're going to sign a DM. I don't know who's going to be. They were linked to Julian Weigel. But I don't know if that's going to be a signing made over the winter and the summer, but they are definitely looking to sign a DM. I don't know if they will, because PSG in the transfer window, since signing Neymar and Mbappe, have just not been able to really sign anybody. They've been so restricted because they're afraid of getting in trouble with UEFA from breaching financial fair play regulations. So I don't know who they're going to sign, but it definitely is not going to be a world-class DM that they're going to sign. Also, Mark... Um, Adrian Rabio, who has refused to sign a new contract and is definitely leaving at the sum, um, in the summer, 
I don't know if, if the deal with Barcelona has been secured or not, but basically the hierarchy at PSG have said that since he has refused to sign a contract, they have basically put him in isolation. They have basically put him on exile and he is not going to be allowed to return to the first team. He has to train with the reserves until he agrees to sign a new contract and he's definitely not going to do that. So he is also not going to be playing against United unless the hierarchy can eat some humble pie and allow him to play. But I really don't see that, that happening. Qatari billionaires don't, are not really used to eating humble pie, I doubt. So well, I don't know. We'll see how that goes for them. Excuse me? Oh, yeah. Over to, league, um, to the EFL Cup semifinals. That was played yesterday. The um, well, the first match was played yesterday between Brighton Albion and Manchester City. This was the second leg. If you don't know how the first leg ended, well, the first leg ended 9-0 in favor of Manchester City. So this was basically a foregone conclusion. And you could see that from the lineup that Pep Guardiola fielded. He only fielded a few first-team guys like Aguero, Mares, Delph. Foden and De Bruyne, all the other guys were really guys who I really didn't know much about. And City got the 1-0 win away from home, courtesy of Kun Aguero. And I wonder if I didn't watch the match because obviously it was a foregone conclusion. So why would I waste time watching such a match with a team that I despise? But I really wonder if Manchester City intentionally did not score a lot of goals because... A few people criticized them for running up the scoreline in the first leg. I, for one, see no problem with that. I actually think, I agree, I think it shows respect to your opponent that you don't put your foot off the gas pedal from start to finish. That's showing your opponent respect that you actually see them as a, a viable competitor. And maybe it's just because they don't have on their shooting boots or it's just not their day. And that's why you're able to beat them so comprehensively. I don't think it's insulting at all to run up a scoreline, but some people do. And I wonder if that played into the, the mind of the City players. And that's why they only won 1-0. Because I'm really surprised that they only ended 1-0. But they got the win and they are through to the final of the Carabao Cup. Let's see who they're going to face between Spurs and Chelsea. The Copa del Rey quarterfinals was also played. The first leg was played. And the biggest match there was Sevilla versus Barcelona. And Sevilla pulled off a massive victory. They defeated Barcelona two goals to nil at their home. They got goals from... The, both goals were scored in the second half. The first was from Pablo Sarabia. And the second was from Wissam Benyadeh. They got the 2-0 win. A huge victory for them. Because after a decently good, a, a very good start to the season, Sevilla's season had really been dropping off over the past few months. And it's huge for them to get this win. Puts them in a very, very good position to progress to the semifinals and to get their hands on some silverware this season. The league is definitely out of their reach. So they should be going all out to win the Copa del Rey. And they definitely did themselves a huge favor from defeating Barcelona and getting away with a clean sheet as well. But Barcelona, on the other hand, Valverde, like, what the fuck was up with that lineup? First of all, Messi did not travel with the team. And then he benched the likes of Suarez, Coutinho, and Alba. 
He started the new signing, what's his name, Kevin Prince Boateng. He started the likes of Alena and Malcolm, and that front three was just not cohesive at all. And it was just no surprise that they were not able to score a goal. Despite bringing on Suarez and Coutinho in the second half, they didn't really do enough. And they have a lot to play for in the second leg. It's also really bad because they did not get an away goal. I'm really not sure if away goals count in the Copa del Rey, but I suspect that they do. So if Sevilla can grab a goal in the second leg, then they're really going to put themselves in a very good position. But... Barcelona are capable of ripping Sevilla to shreds in the second leg. They can easily beat them 4-0 or 5-0. The the coach of Sevilla has to really go into that game with a tactical game plan in mind. Has to he can't just go and think that he's going to attack and get a goal. They have to be really, really cautious if they don't want to lose this. But Barcelona well, I guess the Copa del Rey is not really that big a trophy, but Barcelona have definitely won the Copa del Rey a lot of times over the past few years. So I thought that they would take it a lot more seriously than they did. But maybe they're not really that keen because they are definitely looking to win the Champions League, which they haven't done in so long, and looking to win the league as well. So maybe Copa del Rey isn't that high up in their priorities. But I reckon that Valverde is going to start a very strong lineup in the second leg. And then that's it for the results from the past week. And then now for the fixtures. So we've got the EFL Cup semis second leg of Chelsea versus Spurs playing later today. I am expecting both teams to put up very strong starting lineups. I don't know who Spurs are going to play because they have such a depleted squad. I don't know if uh, if Fernando Llorente is going to get another chance. I th- I think he should because you can't really you can't really fault an out of form and out of confidence player for an own goal. I don't think Pochettino is that kind of coach to just um, basically scrap off a player out of his plans because of a horrible performance. So I think Llorente will start. I mean, even besides from that, who else is he going to start? I don't know if Lucas is back yet, and obviously we we know about the other injuries they have. And also for Chelsea, they've signed their guy, Higuain is here, but I highly doubt he's going to be able to start this match. It would be a huge surprise if he does. But if he's eligible to start the match, I would definitely start him because it's not like it's the start of the season. He's not fatigued. He's been playing already. And it's just about him getting used to the team's, the team's tactics, which shouldn't be too difficult because he has already played under Maurizio Sarri. He's already played under him, and he had his best years under Sarri as well in Napoli, so it shouldn't take too long for him to adjust. So I think if he's available for the match, he should start this match. And what a difference he would make to that front three in Chelsea. But it's a huge match. It's at Stamford Bridge, Chelsea versus Spurs. I'm really looking forward to this match. I think it's going to be very exciting. Um, Unlike the first leg, I expect there to be goals in this one. I know Spurs are going to go into it with a more defensive approach than they, than they even did in the first leg, but they're definitely going to be looking to nick a goal and make it all that more difficult for Chelsea. And it's really going to be a tactical battle as well because Pochettino is such a tactical manager. Sarri has not really shown, he's only shown a few glimpses of his own tactical nows, 
but he's definitely going to need to pull that off in this match because I believe this is Chelsea's best chance at winning some silverware and it's yeah it's really going to be exciting to see who wins because whoever wins they have a date with Manchester City in the final but EFL Cup semis later today looking forward to it you guys should definitely not miss it at all and then the FA Cup fourth round is going to be played over the weekend and we've got a mouth-watering fixture of Arsenal at the Emirates hosting Manchester United. It's the most successful team in FA Cup history in Arsenal against the second most successful team. Arsenal have won 13 FA Cup titles, United have 12. It's going to be a huge match for both teams. Both teams should be, should be in, in some confidence going into this match. Arsenal off the back of the defeat of Chelsea. They defeated Chelsea comprehensively. And United are just a reborn team. They're just a new team under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I really don't know who is going to be looking up to this match more, who it's more important for. You can say it's important for Arsenal because they want to win some, some silverware. Even though they still have a good chance of winning the Europa League, they're still going to be among the top three favourites to win that. I think Emery is going to be looking to win some silverware in his first season as Arsenal's boss. And then United are also going to be looking to win some silverware. I mean, Solskjaer will definitely be looking to win some silverware to increase his chances of keeping the job. Because if he's able to get some silverware, finish in the top four, it's really going to be, he's really going to have a good chance of getting the job. So he's going to be looking to win this match. It's huge. I think Arsenal are slight favorites in the match because they are at home but it's going to be an exciting match i expect a lot of free-flowing attacking football I expect goals in this match and i expect both teams to field out some really strong starting 11s in this match manchester city is host hosting burnley at the etihad stadium i expect city to field out a strong lineup as well because guardiola has fielded some very strong lineups in cup matches I mean, he has so much depth that any team he puts out is a strong lineup, to be honest. So Burnley, I don't really see, I don't really give them much of a chance in this match at all. Crystal Palace are hosting Tottenham Hotspur. Crystal Palace have a very good chance of getting a victory in this match because Spurs are definitely going to put a strong lineup against Chelsea today. And today is what? Today is Thursday. So they're only going to have a few days rest before they have to play again. And they're away against Crystal Palace. It's a, it's a London derby. And I think if Pochettino wants to win this, he's ha he, he has to play a very strong lineup once again. And I don't know how fatigued the players are going to be, but I suspect they'll be highly fatigued. The likes of Christian Eriksen literally did not get any rest over the winter period. He played every match. He started every match during the winter period. And... With the injuries they have, I don't know how they're going to cope with this period. I don't know, I don't know if, if Pochettino is going to say, okay, if Spurs defeats Chelsea and gets to the final, he's going to say, okay, we have a good chance of winning a cup. And the priority is to get into the top four and to go as far as they can in the Champions League. If they don't win against Chelsea, then he will definitely know that his best shot of winning any silverware as Spurs boss will be in the FA Cup. So, huge conundrum for Spurs, but Crystal Palace should really be looking to win this match. 
they should definitely be looking to win this match. They have a very good chance of doing so. They're at home at Selhurst Park. It's a London derby. I don't really know what much more can fire up the, the, the players than this. And then lastly, Chelsea is hosting Sheffield Wednesday. Should be a straightforward win for Chelsea. If Iguain does not start today against Spurs, then I think he should definitely start against Sheffield Wednesday. La Liga, we've got Espanyol versus Real Madrid. That's a huge match for Madrid. If they want to maintain their position in third, they have to win this. But like I said, they're just not that good a team. So really anything can happen and it wouldn't shock me at all. Girona is hosting Barcelona. Girona have put in some good performances against Barcelona in the past. And um, yeah, they should definitely be looking to get something out of this. Um, Barcelona needs to slip up. If Atletico Madrid are going to have a chance, and Atletico Madrid are going up against Getafe at home, so they should be looking to get a straightforward victory. And Sevilla are up against Levante at home as well, so Sevilla should be looking to bounce back from the loss against Real Madrid. Over to Serie A, and we've got two huge fixtures in Serie A, the first of which is Lazio against Juventus. Lazio just lost their spot in the top four, and I feel bad for them. Back-to-back matches against the top two teams in the league. They lost against Napoli last week. And it's going to be tough for them to get anything against Juventus. But they can definitely do it. And they should be really fired up for this match. It's going to be interesting to see Lazio versus Juventus. Let's see how that goes. And then we've got AC Milan versus Napoli as well. Milan hosting Napoli. Milan wants to cement their place in the top four. If they want to do that, they have to defeat Napoli. It's not going to be an easy match, but I expect this to be a very exciting match. I expect a lot of goals in this match. So it's a battle between second-placed Napoli and fourth-placed Milan. And then it's Torino versus Inter Milan. And, and um, no, wait, what am I... I think I've got this a bit wrong. I think, okay, I think yeah, it's Torino versus Inter Milan and then Atalanta versus AS Roma. That rounds up the fixtures, the standout fixtures for the Serie A. And then in the Bundesliga, we've got Borussia Dortmund versus Hannover and Bayern Munich hosting VFB Stuttgart. And then in Ligue 1, we've got PSG versus Rennes. And then I'm going to talk about some transfers. So some transfer rumors. So there's a rumor that um, Spurs are going to try and get in Andy Carroll from West Ham. I suspect it's going to be on a loan but it could be a permanent deal as well so they're going to be looking to get Andy Carroll that's going to be an interesting signing I would like to see how he would play in this Spurs um, setup and um, for West Ham though that would be a huge blow because it seems like they're going to lose Arnautovic he seems hell-bent on going to Chelsea to China and for them to lose both Arnautovic and Carroll in the same winter transfer window would be a huge loss for them. So I don't know how they're going to cope with this and if they will allow either or both of the players to leave. And that's really the only rumor I have. In terms of confirmed transfers, well, like I said earlier, Chelsea have their guy. They finally signed Gonzalo Higuain on a loan deal with an option to extend the loan to the end of next season for about 19 million euros and another option to make it a permanent deal for 41 million euros huge signing for chelsea they are getting Higuain a proven 
tested and proven striker at the highest level of football. A striker that guarantees you goals every single season, every game. 20 goal season, 20 goal a season striker. He has also played under Mauricio Sarri. Mauricio Sarri gave him his best years, especially that season in which he scored 36 goals, which is still a record in Serie A. He scored 36 goals in one season. And yeah, Higuain, he's definitely going to be looking forward to playing under Mauricio Sarri. However, there is a huge question mark, which is, is this the same Higuain who has been scoring these goals all these past seasons? Because this season, he has not had the best of, of times in front of goal. He hasn't really scored that many goals. And funny enough, Alvaro Morata, who has been under such heavy criticism, has actually scored more goals than Higuain in all competitions this season. So make of that what you will. But in the league, he has only scored six goals for AC Milan this season, whereas I think Morata has scored about the same and more in other competitions. And on top of that, Iguain is now 31 years old. He's going to be 32 this year. So is age catching up with him or has it just been difficult to play under AC Milan? I mean, we've seen in the past a lot of the, the strikers AC Milan have had, the likes of Adri- um, of Andre Silva also flopped. And um, so it may, it may just be AC Milan are just not the best team for a number nine, or maybe it's Iguain. But if you're going to go by the storyline or the narrative of AC Milan being a difficult team for strikers, well, then guess which other team has been difficult for strikers in the past, and that's been Chelsea. Iguain has gotten the number nine jersey, and I don't know if you guys know about the curse of the number nine jersey for Chelsea. This goes all the way back to Andrei Shevchenko. Andrei Shevchenko was a number nine for Chelsea. He flopped. After him came Fernando Torres. He flopped as well. Diego Costa did not wear the number nine jersey, but he played in the number nine role. He was a huge unqualified success. And then after that, Alvaro Morata with the number nine jersey flopped. He even switched jerseys to where it wasn't the number 99 or number 90, still flopped. So in terms of number nines in Chelsea, ever since Didier Drogba and you can say Diego Costa, they've really not had any good any strikers that have come in and had successful stays so a lot of um there are a lot of question marks for this move and i think chelsea fans are definitely torn for this deal but at the end of the day i think in terms of immediate needs iguain is the best that they could have gotten considering all the circumstances because they desperately need a striker they're just not scoring goals. And I think it's going to be huge for Hazard because he can now go back to his role on the left-hand side of the attacking third. And at least he has a striker that he can play off of and score a lot of goals off of and also provide a lot of assists too. So, yeah. And then more on this deal. Well, AC Milan have lost Iguain and they have now signed, um, they have signed Christoph Piatek for 35 million euros. On a five-year deal, Christian Patek um, is, I believe, the third highest goal scorer in La Liga in, in Serie A this season. Let me just confirm that right now. So, okay, he is the fourth highest um, goal scorer in, in Serie A. I remember um, in the first half of the season, he was definitely 
challenging Ronaldo for that top spot. But now he's on 13 goals for Genoa. And um, yeah, he's only one goal off the, the top. I mean, Ronaldo, um, Quagliarella and Duvan Zapata are the top three goal scorers and they're all on 14 goals. So Christoph Patek has scored a lot of goals for them and this should be a huge signing for AC Milan in their quest for the top four. It's going to be huge for them. And then Alvaro Morata has also gone to Atletico Madrid on loan with an option to buy for 50 million euros. I don't know how much Atletico Madrid needed a striker, but I, I know Diego Costa hasn't really had the best of returns to the club. So if Morata can play the way he did for Real Madrid and Juventus, then Atletico Madrid have a bargain signing on their hands. And he will definitely help them in winning in their quest to win the league, of course. Other transfers. Well, Frankie de Jong has chosen Barcelona over PSG. The deal is official. Barcelona have signed their boy. He's going to join over the summer for 75 million euros, which could have which could rise to 86 million euros depending on how he performs in barcelona frankie de young what a talent he is he is definitely one for the future he's the i believe he won the the fifa golden boy award for this for 2018 and he's a very versatile player he plays he can play center back central midfield and defensive midfield he has an eye for the killer pass. His composure on the ball is excellent. And for a player his age, he definitely plays like a player well above that age. So I think Barcelona have gotten a huge signing. Sad for PSG because it looked like PSG had already snapped up his signature. But at the end, he has decided to join Barcelona. And well, that's up until the summer. So if any Barcelona fans are listening and you don't know too much about him, then definitely pull up some clips on youtube or just watch some ajax games they're going to be playing in the champions league so you can definitely see the potential that this guy possesses which is a lot and then more on barcelona they have also signed surprisingly kevin prince boateng they've signed him on loan from sassuolo with an option to buy for six million euros and it was literally out of west, west, um, out of left field i didn't see this transfer happening at all i know they had been um be they had been linked with carlos vela but they ended up signing kevin prince boateng and in his press conference he said that he knows that he's not here to challenge for a starting position in the team he knows that he is here to help the team to show his maturity to give them advice to give the younger players advice motivational he's basically an inspirational speaker that they've signed for on loan that's basically what his role is going to be he's just going to be a bit part player and he knows it and he embraces that role but at the age of 30 something then yeah i think that's a good position for him he's probably going to win a la liga trophy he could even win a champions league trophy so all in all i think both parties are happy with this move but just straight out of left field i did not see this coming ashley cole has joined frank lampard in derby county he is 38 years old he joins derby county from la galaxy and he's definitely just here just like kevin prince boateng is in barcelona he's here to be a basically a big brother 
uh, an advisor to the younger players. And unlike Kevin Prince, I think he's going to definitely have a lot more playing opportunity. But I'm sure he's just going to be here to be a motivational force for the players. And then um, Mario Balotelli has gone to Marseille on loan until the end of the season as well. He fell out of the graces of the hierarchy at Nice and he's getting another chance at Marseille. They need a striker. They need somebody scoring goals. So we'll see how that goes for him. And then last but not least, this is... I'm sadly going to have to end on a sad note, but Emiliano Sala, a player from from, from Nantes who is supposed to be the record signing for Cardiff City, has... um. He was signed by... I mean, the deal was already agreed. He put uh, posted a picture with a Cardiff City jersey on Instagram. And then during his flight, he was on a small, um, he was on a small passenger jet, which could seat about just five passengers, flying from, from Nantes to Cardiff. And midway through the flights, all, all connection was lost between the the plane and the the towers i would say so connection was lost and basically the plane is lost and nobody knows where the plane is and basically officials have come out and said the chances of any survivors from this plane are quite slim because they have still not found the plane this has been about four days now and it's really really sad i mean for a new signing to get a, a huge a huge move for himself to improve his career and then this happens it's just really really sad don't um i'm gonna wait up for more updates but yeah the, the plane is the plane is lost it was literally halfway through i think it was supposed to be like an hour long flight and within 30 minutes the plane got lost don't know what could have happened but they definitely lost connection with the plane and there's a the the search team already suspended their search i don't know if they've resumed it but yeah that's really really sad but that's all i've got for today enjoy the matches guys and um, as usual you can catch me on social media on instagram at dballot and on twitter at dk ballots that's dk b-a-l-a-t on twitter and on instagram d-b-a-l-a-t I appreciate you guys listening. Please re- leave a review, leave a comment. If you like what I do, leave a comment. If you don't like it, I don't want you to leave a comment. But if you want to do, I mean, everything's a learning. It's a learning process. So if there's anything I'm not doing right, I would like to learn, get some feedback as well. But I appreciate you guys listening. Thanks a lot. And I will talk to you guys next week. Bye-bye.